Hey, good morning, LifePoint. I hope that you're having a, a great, relaxed, sunny morning. Hope it's sunny. We're here at uh, LifePoint in our newly remodeled building. It's Things are being completed as we speak, and uh, a plan is being assembled uh, for the time when and we'll be able to meet together and have in-person worship gatherings. And we're also beginning to think about some possibilities of other gatherings prior to that that might take place outside. So stay tuned, and uh, we will uh, let you know what's coming down the pike. Hey, we began a series just a few weeks ago titled Embrace Joy, and it's a study in the book of Philippians, one of my favorite books, and uh, I'm excited about this series, and I'm excited about the things that that God is going to be speaking to us, already has been speaking to us, but will be speaking to us and into each of us individually uh, during these weeks. You might recall that as Paul was writing this letter, he was under house arrest in Rome. And the church in Philippi really concerned for for Paul's welfare, for his well-being, sent a man named Epaphroditus to do two things. Uh, One, to deliver a generous financial gift to Paul uh, for his room and board and and other necessities while he was there uh, in prison. And then also to, to just stay with Paul and to provide personal encouragement and personal support to him during the time of his incarceration. So Paul's letter back to them, as we have seen, is first of all a letter uh, of thanks. It's a thank you note. And, uh, it was secondly an opportunity for Paul to do, for Paul to do what he loved to do, uh, which was to continue teaching and leading them to greater joy and greater maturity in Christ. Now last week we looked at verses 12 to 18 where Paul was quick to inform the Philippians that what had happened to him was actually turning out for the advance of the gospel. So far from being discouraged uh, in his circumstances, Paul was actually greatly encouraged and, and really optimistic uh, for a couple of reasons. The first was that His imprisonment had given him opportunity to share the gospel uh, with those who were guarding him day in and day out. They, not he, were the captive audience. And so the message of the gospel had been made known to the entire imperial guard. And the second reason that Paul was so encouraged was that his imprisonment uh, had had the effect of emboldening uh, other Christian leaders to preach the gospel more boldly and more fearlessly, more courageously. And uh, Paul knew that some of them were preaching with right motives, some of them were preaching with wrong motives, uh, but all were preaching Christ. And so Paul said, hey, if Christ is being preached, if the gospel is being taught accurately, the gospel is advancing, then I'm a happy camper and I'm rejoicing. And so that's a great reminder to all of us, isn't it, that uh, no matter what's happening in our lives, even when things look bleak, uh, we can have confidence that God is at work and he will not fail to fulfill all of his promises and to accomplish all of his purposes uh, for us. So we should ask him to give us eyes to see uh, what it is that he's up to uh, in us, through us, even beyond us, so that like Paul, we can find reasons to rejoice even 
in the darkest of times. Well, would you just bow in prayer with me and let's uh, let's commit this time to the Lord. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this great letter of Paul to the Philippians. We pray, Lord, that you would open the eyes of our hearts, the eyes of our minds, that we would perceive what it is that you want to say to us today. And, uh, Lord, that we would not be uh, ineffective hearers, uh, but effective doers of your word. So teach us now, Holy Spirit, come, let the words of my mouth, the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, if you have a Bible, turn with me to Philippians chapter 1, and let's begin at uh, in the middle of verse 18, um, where Paul begins, Yes, and I will rejoice. For I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I'm to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. Verse 18 is a pivotal verse. The the first part of that verse looks back to uh, everything that that Paul has just reported about the advance of the gospel through his imprisonment and and through those on the outside who are proclaiming Christ. And and so listen to his conclusion uh, in the first part of verse 18. What then? What then? Only that in every way whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. The second part of verse 18 is much shorter, but it looks forward. And so he adds, yes, and I will rejoice. I will rejoice. Why, Paul? Why will you rejoice? Let's keep reading. Listen to verse 19. For I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. Now, Paul's sitting in a rented apartment in Rome, chained to a Roman guard around the clock. How, How could Paul have known that his present circumstances would turn out for his deliverance? What's up with that? The Greek word that's translated no in verse 19 is, is informative. It, it expresses, uh, the kind of knowledge that begins with perception and, and then progresses to confident awareness. What aids him in that confidence, he says, is two things. First of all, the fact that, uh, his friends in Philippi are praying for him. And the, the Spirit of Jesus Christ, another way of describing God the Holy Spirit, another title for him, is helping him. The Holy Spirit abides in us and, and helps us. 
he will continue to do so. And in a sense, what Paul is saying about himself here in verse 19 reflects what he already said about the believers in Philippi in verse 6, where he wrote, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. And in fact, in his Bible paraphrase called The Message, Eugene Peterson rendered verse 19 like this. Through your faithful prayers and the generous response of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, everything he wants to do in and through me will be done. You see the parallel there? See the similarity? One of the keys to understanding Paul's meaning in this passage is to understand also what he meant by deliverance. So reading verses 19 and 20 together, For I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage now as always Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. See, Paul saw two possibilities with regard to deliverance. One was life. The other was death. Both would have been deliverance in his circumstances and in his understanding of what his life was all about. He understood very clearly that he would either survive his imprisonment and trial and be liberated to continue his mission, or he would be executed. And remember where Paul is. He's most likely in Rome. He's probably awaiting trial before Caesar Nero. And if, if you know anything about Caesar Nero, uh, you know that he was both creative and ferocious in his methods when it came to persecuting Christians. In fact, one of the things he's most notorious for was rolling Christians in pitch or tar, tying them to the tops of high poles, setting fire to them and burning them alive to light his gardens for his nighttime parties. <laughs> In comparison to that, how's, how's your week been? Paul's eager expectation and hope, his ambition in life, was that Jesus Christ would be honored in his body, whether by life or by death. Now, I don't have any idea why the translators of the English Standard Version of the Bible chose the word honored uh, to translate the actual word, which is magnified. <laughs> it's such a more descriptive word. It means to to make him larger, to elevate him, to exalt him, to glorify him. And that was what Paul expected. That's what he hoped. And because of that, he was was also very conscious of a desire to not be ashamed. What would shame look like to a guy like Paul? Verse 20 tells us, in the case of life, To be ashamed might mean a failure of courage to fulfill his ministry. And in the case of death, perhaps a a failure of courage to face it with confidence and with hope. Several years ago, I was diagnosed with non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. Um, If you've ever had that experience of being diagnosed with a a serious disease, 
uh, you know what that moment feels like. And the day that I, I received that startling news, it was this verse that first came to mind. Uh, I had previously memorized it in the New International Version. I eagerly expect and desire that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. It's a good one to memorize because unless Christ raptures the church in our lifetime, death will inevitably come for each of us. Think about this. Will Christ be equally honored in your dying as he is in your living? Will Christ be equally honored in your dying as he is in your living? Or maybe we could flip that and and ask the question, will Christ be equally honored, magnified, exalted, glorified, in your living as you anticipate him being in your dying. So the next verse is is equally worthy of memorization because there Paul states in clear, unequivocal terms the essence of, of life and death for him. He says, for to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. I wonder if if you were to honestly fill in those blanks, how might it read? For to me to live is blank, and to die is blank. I'd really encourage you to reflect on that this week. Pray about it. Ask God to, to show you how you actually are currently filling those blanks. And maybe have a conversation about it with a close friend or your spouse or your family. And, and maybe consider what changes you might need to make in your life to to bring your ambitions in life and death <laughs> more in line with what you know of God's purposes for you. One of the most perplexing things to sort out in life is is what we really think and feel and otherwise believe about death. Uh, and there's so many Different philosophies, the various philosophies and religions of the world often or offer everything from annihilation, the idea that when you die, that's, that's it, the end. Uh, nothing more, nothing beyond this life. Um, you simply cease to exist. Uh, to absorption into to the all soul, another philosophy, the absorption into the, to the all soul, like um, water drops in the ocean rise up and then fall back into the ocean and, and you just become again as you die part of uh, everything uh, and then and then one philosophy is that you have a, a perpetual cycle of, of death and reincarnation and to a to a variety of states and levels of of uh, afterlife that depend on your moral performance and your religious loyalty in this life. It can all be so confusing. And nevertheless, each and every one of us has got to come to terms with what is true about death because the ratio is persuasive. Uh, Each person who's born into this world eventually dies, including you and including me. In the original Greek manuscript, Paul doesn't say for to me to live is Christ. What he 
What he does say is for me or for to me to live Christ. For to me to live Christ. The word is doesn't appear in the Greek manuscript and he didn't say to me to live is all about Christ or is predominantly about Christ or he didn't say that Christ is just the largest category in my life, the most important thing. Instead he says to live Christ. We compartmentalize our lives into work, home, dating, or marriage, or family, or recreation, church friends, secular friends, and on it goes. And one of those compartments is is marked something like Jesus, or faith, or spiritual life. And we tend to like to keep our compartments separate from each other. And we arrange them so as to prevent some of the more sensitive compartments from ever having to intersect. And that's one of the primary reasons that, that achieving a truly integrated life eludes most of us. Our values and our priorities are fragmented. Our lives are compartmentalized and, and we tend to like it that way. Our hearts and minds are divided. But when Paul says, to me to live, Christ. He's saying that Jesus wasn't just a compartment, just a category in his life among other categories. Rather, he's saying that Jesus was the sole category. Jesus is everything to Paul. The only one. And by the way, neither does the original manuscript read, to die is gain. Paul simply said, to die Gain, to live Christ, to die gain. I love the way J.B. Phillips paraphrased verse 21. For living to me means simply Christ. And if I die, I should merely gain more of him. For living to me means simply Christ. And if I die, I should merely gain more of him. Let me ask you, are you able to make that declaration with sincerity, without hypocrisy this morning? It's a searching question, isn't it? I'd like to spend the remainder of the time we have together this morning answering the questions, how did Paul understand what it meant to magnify God in his body by life? And secondly, how did he understand what it meant to magnify God in his body by death. And there are some strong clues right here in this passage. First of all, the word life, notice this with me if you have your Bible open. The word life in verse 20 corresponds to the phrase to live in verse 21. To live is Christ. To, to magnify Christ in his body by life meant, meant to make Christ the, the center and the sole pursuit of his life. So that in turn, through his life, Christ's greatness would be shown. That Christ would be more accurately and more widely known. Christ would gain an ever greater reputation by, by the investments that he made while he was living in his body. Two chapters to the right in your Bible, in chapter 3, Paul expressed his ambition in another way. 
Philippians chapter 3, beginning at verse 8, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish, in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own, because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I, I do not consider that I have made it my own, The one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. See, there was no higher goal, no objective more important, no no value higher to Paul than to know Christ. Secondly, to magnify Christ in his body by life simply meant to Paul that he would go on living in the flesh which is the tense of verse 22, the the clear alternative to dying. (laughs) But with that opportunity, Paul also says in verse 22 that to magnify Christ in his body, to go on living in the flesh, would mean fruitful labor. Now, where have we seen that word fruit already in Philippians? Well, Paul's prayer in verse 11 was that the Philippian believers would be filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. To live Christ, to magnify Christ in his body, to to continue to engage fruitful labor meant not that he himself would produce the fruit in them, but that he would be an instrument of Christ in the lives of increasing numbers of people for as long as God would allow him. Finally, magnifying Christ in his body by life meant that he would remain and continue with them. Verse 25, for their progress and joy in the faith. He wanted them to grow to real maturity as Christ progressively completed the work he had begun in them. And he wanted to be used by God to see it come to pass. Some of you know the truth of what I'm about to say, but There's no greater joy or fulfillment in the Christian life than to be a conduit of the Holy Spirit into the life of another person and a a catalytic influence in that work of transformation. To be used of God that way, there's nothing better. There's no higher joy. Well, let's turn the corner then and ask the question, how did Paul understand what it meant to magnify Christ in his body by death? And again, there are very direct clues in this passage. In verse 21, as we've already seen, Paul says simply, to die, gain. To die, gain. If that's true, and, and it is, then then why is it that we almost always think of death in terms of loss? When a Christian dies, we, we should never feel sorry for them. They're with the Lord. And while they continue to, to love us, to love those they, they left behind, um, for them to die is gain. 
and they wouldn't want to leave the glories of heaven and return to this life. The, the loss is sustained by those who remain behind. Our loss is real, and our grief is real. And that's why Paul wrote to the Thessalonians to say that as believers we grieve, but there is a qualitative difference in the way we grieve in comparison to the way the world grieves that can only be accounted for by the factor of hope. Paul wanted them to grieve, but not as those who have no hope. Jesus said to his friend Nicodemus that whoever believes in God's Son will not perish but have everlasting life. And that life begins now when we believe in Christ. And it continues on as we pass through the veil into eternity. And notice how Paul describes death in verse 23. My desire is to depart, to be with Christ, for that is far better. Have you ever wondered what that moment will be like when you die? The words Paul uses here are helpful in understanding that transition. The word translated depart was used in the ancient world to describe the act of pulling up tent pegs, breaking camp, and hitting the trail. It was also used of untying a ship from its moorings and of weighing anchor and setting sail for a new destination bound for Treasure Island. And notice where Paul says he will be when he departs. With Christ. With Christ. Now go with me if you have a Bible to Second Corinthians chapter 5, beginning with verse 6, where he wrote to the Corinthian believers, We are always of good courage. We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord, for we walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please him, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. And did you hear what Paul said there in verse 6? While we are at home in our physical bodies, we are away from the Lord. That doesn't mean that we're out of fellowship with him or that we can't interact with him or relate with him. But only that we can't see him with the eyes in our heads. In this life, we walk by faith and not by sight. But notice verse 8. We would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. You may have heard someone say to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And, and this is where that saying comes from. And notice that there's no intermediate state, no purgatory, no limbo, um, no soul sleep. If you believed in Jesus at the exact moment that your soul departs your body, you will be in the presence of Jesus Christ. As Jesus was hanging on the cross, one of the thieves who were crucified with him said to him, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. You know how Jesus answered him? Did he say, well, you've lived a sinful, reprobate life, so you'll have to do a little time in purgatory, maybe a lot of time in purgatory. Do penance and have your venial sins purged from you, and then perhaps you'll find your way to heaven. 
Not at all. In fact, you'll never find the doctrine of purgatory taught in the Bible. The Bible teaches that the sacrifice of Christ, the atoning sacrifice of Jesus, was effective to satisfy the wrath of God toward all of our sin. All of it. Did Jesus say your soul will sleep for two to three thousand years and after that we'll see each other again? Nope. What did Jesus say? He said to him, truly I say to you, today, today, you will be with me in paradise. See, to depart and be with Christ, Paul says to the Philippians, is better by far. Paul was neither confused about death nor was he afraid of it. He looked forward to it. Now notice one more thing and we're done. In verses 21 to 26, we hear Paul's inner struggle. For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard pressed between the two. My desire is to be is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. Now put your nose back in the Bible and dial in to the latter part of verse 22. Yet which shall I, which I shall choose, Paul writes, I cannot tell. I am hard pressed between the two. Now, do we, do not inter, do not interpret this to, to mean that Paul thought he had a choice in the matter of whether he should die or live. He's talking about a preference. Should I stay or should I go? A clash of competing values and priorities. See, we, we don't know for sure how this turned out. Paul perceived that God's plan for his life was to continue his ministry. Tradition holds that Paul was beheaded and died in Rome. Was there a time of freedom before his death? We, we just don't know. But here's what we do know. That when he departed this life, whenever that was and however that took place, he entered at that moment into the presence of his Lord and Savior, his friend, Jesus Christ. Here's something else we know on the basis of God's word. You and I will never be able to say to die is gain with full conviction and real abandon until we can say, to live is Christ in full honesty and sincerity. If you've trusted in Christ, if you're a Christ follower this morning, I want to ask you a personal question. Is Christ compartmentalized in your life? Is he just one component of your life, one category? Or is he your life? Who are you living for? What? are you living for? 
Do you need to take a step of faith and obedience this morning and and surrender to him some territory in your life that you know he has rightful claim to? Do you need to give up some of those compartments and allow him in, allow him to occupy greater space in your life? If this morning you you haven't decided yet what you're going to do about Jesus, I want to invite you today to consider whether you're ready to stand before God and give an account of yourself and what you've done or not done in your life. See, none of us knows the, the day or the hour or the minute or the split second of our death. No one knows when Christ will return for those who love him, but we know he he will because he promised. Are you ready? Have you transferred your trust from yourself and from your religious performance, from your intellect, from your impressive uh, morality, from your general sense of goodness, from your misguided belief that God grades on a curve and not on an, uh, uh, an unbending righteous standard? To Christ. To Christ and what he accomplished for you through his death and his resurrection. I want to invite you today to trust in Christ. I want to invite you today into that journey of being able to say to live as Christ. And I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that to die is gain. Today can be the day when you receive the gift of eternal life. I pray that you will. Have a great week.